So it's great to see you here today. We started a series called Identity Theft, and we're talking about the things that steal our identity that prevent us from being who we really should be, to have a healthy life, to have a great life. Today, I'm talking about being stolen by success. Success can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It can create great opportunities. It can destroy lives. It depends on what you do with it. If you want to see image, go to a 10-year or 20-year reunion with your high school friends. And a lot of times people will go there trying to put it on a front. They want to present themselves in a certain way to make you think that they made it. So they, you know, they rent that, they rent a car and it looks hot, but it's not really theirs, you know, but they want you to think it's theirs. They rent a brand new suit. It's not theirs, but they want you to think it's theirs. They rent a brand new girlfriend and, but they do what it takes to make you feel like they're successful. That's what image is about, right? Image is about putting something out there that's not really me. That's not really me. Image is actually important in certain things, like if you're in uh, entertainment. Image works. You want to put image out there. But it can't be a real part of your life. You have to know the difference, you know. Um, There was this doctor who had this 92-year-old patient, and he saw this 92-year-old man with this very young, attractive woman. And And the... Patient said, hey, doc, thanks for the advice. He's like, what advice did I give you? He said, remember, you told me to get a hot mama and be cheerful. Doctor said, no, no, no. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. (laughs) Sometimes we think image is the answer, and it's not. Have you ever watched Little House on the Prairie? Do you remember that? I'm aging myself, right, when I bring up these old shows. Uh, you, yeah, you can say, I, I only saw the reruns. Then you're still young. But in the show, one of the shows, Charles and Caroline, they were the married couple that lived on this little house in a prairie. They went to their 20th year high school reunion, and it was in the big city. I don't remember if it was a real city or what it was, but it was in the big city. And they found that everybody seemed so successful and you know, they had the nice clothes, but living out where they lived, they had to sew their own clothes and make it all themselves. This was the, the settings in the 1800s. And they had prestigious jobs in the city, and he was like a farmer, and it made him feel like, like maybe we made the wrong choice. They seemed like they've got so much. The image of the people were really, really good. But as the show went on, you started slowly seeing behind it. One of the examples was one of the couples that looked like they had the best image of a great marriage, the wife was really miserable in real life. And when she was away from her husband and with Charles, she was trying to make a move on him. (laughs) This great marriage, you know. So um, at the end of the show, they could see what was really going on that this is the front. But what was really going on in people's lives, a lot of it wasn't that happy. And at the end of the show, Charles and Caroline, they're getting off this train, they're coming home, and they see their kids running up the hill saying, Ma, Pa. And then he says, now that's real success. Real success is in relationships. 
relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with your husband and wife, relationship with your kids. That's real success. That's where you're going to find real happiness. Other things don't make you happy. Well, let me put it this way. They can make you happy temporarily. But it's not the same as a, really, a happy marriage or something like that. For example, you know, you guys know I like to coach and stuff, but we can win the championship, and you're happy that day. I mean, it's fun. It's fun to win. But people can win that um, championship and still be miserable inside. They're so miserable. They're empty. They're not happy about life. They're happy in the moment. But they still might go, two days later, they might be drinking alcohol to ease the pain of what's going on in the inside. So success isn't the answer. And I believe that you should shoot, shoot for success. That's better than shooting for failure, right? But it's not the answer. And this gets started at an early age, or maybe not really by them, but by us as parents. Sometimes a parent can be saying like, like comparing my child started walking at nine months and they're comparing it to other children to feel good about themselves. Like that would make a difference. You know, or my child started talking at nine months, comparing them with the other ones so they feel good about themselves. Because why would we do something like that? Because we don't already feel good about ourselves, so we have to use things like that to make us feel good. I've seen parents that, I grew up playing baseball. That was my major sport growing up until I got to high school. Wrestling became my uh, favorite sport. Um, but I grew up playing baseball, and sometimes a kid would strike out, and it was like the parent that was devastated, not the child. Because the parent was trying to live and have success through what the kid did. What kind of pressure is that for a kid? That's not going to be healthy for a kid. One time at a AAU, it was a national tournament, basketball tournament, 12-year-old division. It got out of hand. I know they're 12-year-olds. It got out of hand, and one kid got kicked out of the game. And the mom of that kid ran on the court and said, you can't kick him out. He's my franchise. The mom was saying, this is my ticket to success. Let me show you this. That child did not choose to be born. You chose to have them. Okay? Your responsibility is to help him make it. His responsibility isn't to make you help you make it. That's not his responsibility. That's your responsibility as a parent. You can't try to live through your kids. You can't find things that you weren't successful at and live through them. Now, don't get me wrong. I want my kids to be successful. I want my kids to do great in school. You know how when you get that bumper sticker that says, you know, my child was an honor student at whatever elementary school. That's good. You want that. Those are good things. I want my kids to try to make good grades. I want my kids to strive to be their best in whatever they're doing. Okay? But I don't want any pressure on them to fulfill my need for feeling significant. If I'm trying to get my significance through them, I'm manipulating my own children. That's not love. Love is to encourage your children, love them, and encourage them to be the best that they can be. 
I want, I want my children to be, I want Alex to be the best Alex he can be. Andrew be the best Andrew. Alicia, Arthur, be the best that they can be. But not to make me feel good about myself. It's out of love for them. I'm here to serve them. When you put God first in your life, and you feel your security, your significance, your satisfaction in that relationship, it frees you in your marriage to say, I'm in this marriage to bless you. It frees you with your kids to say, I'm in this relationship to bless you. But if I'm empty on the inside, I'm going to try to get that significance out of you, that security out of you, that satisfaction out of you, that acceptance out of you. And I'm going to manipulate you to make me happy. It's two different things. You can never have great relationships without finding that peace within your own heart that God gives you. And you'll put a pressure to perform so that you feel good. And you'll even put that on one another in marriage. Alanis Morissette sang a song called Perfect. And it's written from the perspective of a parent talking to their kid, pushing the kid to be what the parent never was. And she ends the song with the line, the parents will love the son just the way he is if he's perfect. And that's not love. That's not love. A message gets sent out to do whatever it takes to win, to be first, to be the best, to be bigger, stronger, smarter, faster, richer, Higher, better. The truth is, if you want to have health in your life, you can't say, I'm going to compare myself to somebody else on how good I'm doing. I have to compare myself to me and my talents. Am I using my talents, my abilities to increase them? It's not about comparing myself to you. You know, am I doing the best I can be? Am I being the best me that I can be? If you teach your children to be the best that they can be using their gifts and talents that they can be, it doesn't matter what somebody else is doing. Not everybody can be the best artist in the world. But if your kid is painting a picture the best they can, I'm proud of them. Not everybody can be the best singer. If your child is singing the best they can, I'm proud of them. Not everybody's going to be a 4.0 student. But if your child is doing the best they can, I'm proud of them. Now, if your child brings home a poor report card because they've been watching TV at night every day and not doing their homework, and you find out as a parent that they have this homework assignment, and you've seen that they had plenty of time to do it, you discipline them. You discipline them. Because you still want them to do the best they can. But if the student's doing the best they can and they're a C student, you're proud of them. It's not healthy to try to get them to be what they're not. You're not living your life through them. You're there to love them, accept them, guide them, correct them, discipline them, but you're not there to live your life through them. Look at Ecclesiastes 4.4. Then I've observed that most people are motivated to success by
by their envy of their neighbors. But this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. They want to have success because they're envious of what somebody else has. No, be the best you that you can be. I need to be the best me that I can be. I don't need to compare myself to you. You be the best you that you can be. Don't compare yourself to me. That's what success is. I'm really doing the, you know, what I can to help myself. But what makes us run faster or think we have to work harder or compete so intensely? There could be God-given reasons that drive you. You know, love can drive you to be successful. I love you, and I'm going to be the best I can. You know, love's a, you know, a, a good motivation. But one of the things that drive us is, and in your notes, it's a hunger for acceptance and love. It's, I'm so hungry to be loved. I'm so hungry to be accepted. So if I perform, then maybe you'll love me. If I'm good enough, I get there. Most work workaholics, most of them grew up in performance-driven environments and homes. They were taught that you don't get love and acceptance unless you're good enough to earn it. If you fly a little higher, if you run a little faster, if you do a little better, then you'll get it. And they long for that love so much. They long for that acceptance so much that they'll do whatever they can. And they'll work and work and work and work and to try to get it. Here's a problem. They get it and they're still not happy. Because that's not what makes you happy. That's not what makes you happy. You have temporary happiness, but that's not what makes you happy. So, you know, they're starving for this unconditional love that they already have. They already have it. God, who created them, already loves them unconditionally. God already loves them. He accepts them. You know, he appreciates them. They've already got it 100%. And it actually frees them up and takes some pressure off to actually be better at what they do. If you feel confident, confident, right? It's easier, you know, like, for example, to ask a woman out on a date if you feel good about yourself, right? It's easier to do those things because you feel good about yourself. It's easier to succeed at anything when you feel good about yourself. If you're in sports and you feel confident and good about yourself, you play better. If you feel insecure about yourself, you tend to play worse. You know what I mean? Confidence is a good thing. That's what God gives you. When you know that you're loved, when you know that you're accepted, when you know that you're appreciated, it gives you the confidence to actually do better. You're not going to get worse. But when you're living for those things, when I coached in the 90s, I was a different person back then. And... I can remember coaching with the idea of it affected my value as a person. If we won, I was sky high. If we lost, I was down in the dumps. It affected who I am because my self-image was based on our performance. 
then I had kids, and that changes you. And I started raising them, and I didn't coach for 10 years. And then I came back because they went to high school. And so different. I think this is having kids, this is some of the ways that wakes you up. Is I was coaching now with a different perspective. It was all about them. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was getting my self-image built or destroyed based on how good or bad we did. It's about them. Like, I want them to experience this. I want them to have a fun time. And because you have your own kids and you think differently, now you think differently about the other kids. When I think about it clearly, the motivation was, I didn't think of this at the time, but you're kind of using those kids to make you feel good in the past as opposed to me being used to make them feel good. And it's totally different. And it's no surprise that our success these last 10 years have been so good compared to the first 10 years when I coached. Because the kids can tell somehow. They know, the kids know that I care about them. That it's all about them and building them up and helping them have the greatest life. Before... The kids could probably tell, like, this means a lot to the coach. <laughs> it's for him. You know, this is about his self-image. You know, I don't know how present that was, but it's night and day dip. It's the performance level shot up when I grew and mature, matured and had the right image of myself. A second thing that drives us is an image of success. And I remember how empty that was, trying to have success, and that being what makes me feel good about myself or bad about myself. You get plaques and awards, and you can look good on the outside, but if you're not happy on the inside, you're not happy. It's what's happening on the inside that's going to matter. When you're happy on the inside, you even view those awards differently. You view them differently. In Exodus 23 through 5, it says, Do not worship any other gods besides me. Obviously, this is God speaking there. Do not make idols of any kind, whether it's the shape of birds or animals or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with any other God. That's Exodus 20. And we would all say, Come on, Jimmy. I'm not bowing down to a statue of a fish. I don't do that. But when you look up the word worship, you know what it means? What are you giving your energy, time, devotion, and affection to? Wow. And sometimes our energy, our time, our devotion, our affection can be about this image that I create. And that can become a false god. When you put your energy, your devotion, your time, and your affection into your kids over God, your kids can become your idol. You can do that to your spouse. You can do that with your job. You can make anything your God. It's where your heart is. Where, where is my devotion? That's your worship. Where, what am I really devoted to? That's your worship. And then you ask yourself, is God really number one? Is God really number one, 
or have I put other things on that altar above God? What am I really worshiping with my life? Do I have God in the right order? In the book of Luke, a young guy, he's called the rich young ruler, came to see Jesus. And this guy was committed to keeping his image. He looked like he was someone that had it all together. By all appearances, he had life figured out. But in reality, he was empty on the inside. He had success, but he was still empty. And here's what he said to Jesus. Good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? What should I do? See, because he's a performer, meaning he's an achiever. He was financially really successful, and he was really good religious-wise. He didn't murder, like he, he, they talked about the Ten Commandments. I've never murdered. I've never committed adultery. I don't lie. You know, I'm not a cheater. I don't cheat people. Uh, you know, I honor my parents. And on all of the outside rules that everybody sees, man, he looked good. But the thing is, when it came to the relationship with God, that intimacy with God, worship, those things weren't on the list. Those things weren't on the list describing what type of man this was. And Jesus knew that. And in Mark 10, 21 and 22, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loves him. He's looking at him. And he's saying, you're a good guy. You are a good guy. I care about you. I really, truly love you. And you don't break those commands. But he says this one thing. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And it says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What is Jesus saying? There's one thing that you lack. The word surrender. You've never surrendered to me. You've never surrendered to me. Surrender. Because in this case, this guy's God was money. And he said, surrender to me. This is the true story about um, in Atlanta. There was a guy that loved the Atlanta Braves. I've probably shared the story before. He loved the Atlanta Braves, and he has season tickets to the Atlanta Braves. And he would, if there was a family reunion, and his wife was begging to go to it, but it was a day that the Atlanta Braves had a game, a home game. The answer was no, because he, he had season tickets. He'd go there. And it, if it was a de, a something like that that the wife's begging to go to, and it was an away game that was going to be on TV, on TBS, which all their games were, the answer was no. And the Atlanta Braves was destroying his marriage, his family. The Atlanta Braves of all things. He, his wife actually filed for a divorce over the Atlanta Braves. Can you believe this? Why? Well, reason for a divorce, Atlanta Braves. <laughs> Is this crazy? True story. Okay, so the guy gets desperate finally. It's enough because he starts thinking, I don't want to lose my family and my wife. And So he goes to counseling, and through their counseling, it comes to the conclusion that he has a God. He's devoted to the Atlanta Braves. 
He's worshiping the Atlanta Braves. He'd miss church for the Atlanta Braves, anything. That was his God. So he gave up the Atlanta Braves. One day, he, he became a Christian and was going, you know, he gave up the Atlanta Braves, and now he's worshiping God. And one day, someone from the church he went to had a great idea. Hey, guys, let's all have fun together. Let's all go see the Atlanta Braves play. And he said, what? And you guys call yourselves Christians? Why? Because for him, it was a sin for him to go to the Atlanta Braves. It wasn't your sin. It was his sin. Is it a sin for people to have money? It wasn't your sin. It was his sin. It might be your sin. I don't know. Atlanta Braves might be your sin. I think his real sin was picking the Atlanta Braves. No, but um, no, but your, a sin can be, a, you know, whatever you make to be your God. It can be money. That could be your God. It, like I said, it could be your wife or husband. It could be your kids. It could be a, your job. It's whatever you're putting first in your life over God. And once you put something over God, it's going to affect how you live your life. If God's first in my life, then I have to treat my wife the way God wants me to. Happier marriage, guaranteed. If God's first in my life, I have to treat my kids the way God wants me to. Happier family. If God's first in my life, I have to handle everything the way God wants me to. Better life. It's not going to make things worse when you put God first. It makes things better. Your priorities are going to be in the right area. The key is surrender. Put God first in your life. So I want to look at God's approach to success. God wants you to have success. He does. What's his approach? Number one, clearly know your identity. Put identity at top of the list. You know, know the first song we sang today, know who you are, who we are, who you are. Know who you are in God's eyes. Build an intimate relationship with God. Know who you are. When you know how much God loves you, you really know it. When you know how much God accepts you, when you really know that, when you know how much God appreciates you, and you really know it, when you know how important you are to God, and you really knew that, think about this, the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe that made all the stars, all everything, and he loves you personally that much. If you really knew the truth, you'd have the best self-image in the world. I'm telling you, if you really knew the truth, you'd have the best self-image in the world. Wow, God loves me that much. Who am I to be loved by God that much? If you knew that this God who loves you so much, that he's your father, he said, that's dad. Wow. First of all, my dad did all this, and he loves me, and he accepts me, and he appreciates me. Just as I am, it changes you. And it will change why you do what you do, and you'll actually do it better. You'll actually perform at a different level and for the right reasons. Look at Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says, and I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. He's saying if you could just get it, 
If you could just understand how wide, how deep, how long, just how great God's love is, if you could just grab it, if you could grasp it and hold on to it, it'd change your life if you really get it. May you experience the love of Christ. May you really experience it. Though it is so great, you'll never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Who would like to be, you don't have to raise your hand, but who would like to be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God? He's saying if you really grasped it, if you really got it, the love of God is like a consuming fire. If you really got it, it would consume who you are. It would make you a different person if you really understood what God, how much God loves you. It changes your life. The Bible says you'll never fully understand it. It's greater than what we, what we have the ability to understand. But I'm telling you this. You can get it. You can start understanding more than you do now, maybe. Right? And if you really knew how loved you are, if you really knew how accepted you are, if you really knew, if you really get it, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you treat people. changes the things that you care about. And like I said, and you'll be more successful. You'll be more successful even in the eyes of the world, but you'll be doing it for a different reason. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And that's what we need to do. We just need to be still and know that he's God. Spend time with God. Just have a quiet time. Reflect on God. Allow him in. Through prayer, reading the Bible, learn about God. Know about how much he cares about you, how much he loves you. He's got an unfailing love. He's never going to let you down. Sometimes we don't accept ourselves. If you understand how much God accepts you, it helps you to accept yourself. Because you know that God made you exactly how he wanted you to be. You have the perfect DNA to be you, not so that you can be somebody else, but so that you can be exactly what God wants you to be in the best way possible. When you understand that perfect acceptance that God has for you, it actually unleashes you to be great at what you're good at. But when you don't understand that you accept it, what do you try to do? You try to be like somebody else. Guaranteed failure. I can't be you. You can't be me. Guaranteed failure. I'm going to try to be like him. I'm going to try to be. You know what? Guaranteed failure. You'll never be like him. Why not? Because you're not him. You've got to be the best you that you can be. But when you understand, God made me this way. I'm 100% exactly what he wanted. And he loves me so much. Exactly like this. Then it frees you to accept yourself and be what you were meant to be. And be the best you that you were meant to be. And like I said, you'll actually have more success. God's way isn't follow me so I can give you less success. God's way is follow me and I'll show you how to really be successful. When you understand how much I love you and accept you, you can really be successful now because now you're doing what you were meant to do. What you were wired to do. Self-acceptance doesn't mean, okay... God loves me. I'm fully fulfilled inside. So therefore, I'm going to leave a, live a mediocre life. I'm already happy in the inside, so I'm not going to be driven. 
I have no passion because I'm already empty on the inside, so I'm just going to be a street bum. Why? Because I don't need anything to be happy. I'm already happy. That's not what happens. It's the complete opposite. It's like, wow, I'm so loved. I'm so accepted. I'm so appreciated as I am. I'm now free to really be me and to go for it. There are so many things that we don't try because we're afraid to try. Because we don't really feel like we're appreciated because we don't feel like we could do it. And let me tell you this. No matter what somebody tells you, you cannot be whatever you want to be. You can't. But you can be what you were meant to be, and you can excel. You can, that's greatness. It's to look at your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality type, your past experiences, and taking everything that shaped you like that and being the best you that you can be. Now, that's living. That is living. That's enjoying life. And you enjoy life when you're doing what you're good at. It's miserable. Have you ever had a job that you're not good at that type of stuff, and you're trying and trying? I think it was a few weeks ago I said, everybody take out a pen and take your opposite hand. I write with my right hand. Take your opposite hand and write your name. You might remember I did this. And at the end I said, there's two things that you notice. It took you twice as long to write it, and it was still twice as bad. Why? Because you're not gifted to write that way. Now take the pen with the other hand, and it's, it was twice as fast, and it looks twice as good. Right? When you unleash yourself to be who God made you, that's where success comes. In John 21, 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This says the disciple that Jesus loved, he didn't give his name. Do you know who wrote that passage, who wrote the book of John? John. John's writing this. And it says, so John writes, Peter turned, when he's writing his story about Jesus' life, Peter turned and saw that disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. Do you know who the disciple whom Jesus loved was? It was John, the guy writing it. <laughs> what is that? What does that mean? That's weird. You're writing it and you're, you're saying that you're the one that Jesus loved. And he says, yes, and so are you. And so are you. I just happen to know it. I happen to know that I'm the one that Jesus loves. And I hope that you happen to know that too. Because if you don't, realize that's your title. And you can say, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know who I am. Who are you? I'm the one that Jesus loves. That's who I am. I'm the one that Jesus loves. Because worth isn't found in possessions. There are people with possessions and they're miserable. It's not in a reputation. There's people that have a great reputation and they're miserable. It's not in a title. People have great titles and they're miserable. It's not an applause. People get applauded and they're happy, but they're miserable when they go home. But if you understood God's love, how deep, wide, long that is, how high it is, that radical love for God, that's what changes you. And the last point here, build your intimacy with God. Draw close to God and God will draw close to you. That's in James 4, 4, 8. Build your intimacy with God. James 4, 8, draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. When you experience intimacy with God, it changes your identity, what you think about yourself. It changes your image. You're not the same person you once were. 
James 4.10 says, when you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. When you get with him, it's saying he changes you. God wants to change you. There's a guy named Saul. He was rich, successful, intelligent, powerful, respected, admired. In the outward sense, he lacked nothing really. But really, inwardly, he was empty. This guy Saul met Jesus, and it changed who he was when he understood God's love for him and what God had done. It changed him so much, he even changed his name. Can you imagine that you're changed so much on the inside that you want a different name? So he changed his name to Paul. So now his name is called Paul. And Paul is the guy that wrote over half of the New Testament books that you're reading in the Bible because of what Christ did. Now, he was already rich, though. Why wasn't he happy? He was already successful. He was intelligent and powerful and respected and admired. If I could get one of those things, wouldn't I be happy? He had all five or six that I mentioned. He still wasn't happy. And here's what he wrote in Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying all those things that I had, to me, that's a loss compared to Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. So he considered all these great things he had, being admired and rich and successful and powerful and respected. He considered that garbage compared to his relationship with Christ. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, meaning not having a righteousness that comes from what I do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith of Christ, meaning not because of what I've done, it's because of what he did for me. That's real success. That's real success. When you get the priorities in order, it changes everything else. It changes everything else. And I think God wants you to have real success. And real success isn't rich, intelligent, powerful, respected, admired. It can be, but that's not where the success comes from. Can you be rich and happy? Probably not. But some people are because they have their priorities in order. Can you be intelligent and happy? Probably not. But some people are because they have their priorities in order. You know, can you be admired and happy? Probably not. But some people are because they have their priorities in order. See, it's not the rich. It's not the admired. It's not the intelligence that does it for you. It's having your priorities in order. And then whatever you have is going to be fine. In fact, you'll probably produce more. You'll probably even be, have more success in those ways. I've learned nothing's more prestigious than surrendering to God and allowing Him to be number one in your life. If you're a doctor, the difference is you're saying, God, I'm now a doctor for you. If you work on the dock, now I'm working on the dock for you. If you... Work at a gas station, now I'm working at the gas station for you. If you're a teacher, 
Now I'm a teacher for you. You could be a doctor, and you could be known around the world for how good you are at what you do and not care at all about the people, but care about what you're doing and how much, look at all this credit I'm getting. Or you could be a doctor and being just as successful, but care about the patient because you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbors yourself. Both doctors could be equally good at what they do. One's devoted to God. The other one's not. You could go to the doctor that's not devoted to God and get just as healthy as going to the doctor that is devoted to God. You'll get out just as healthy. But one's devoted to God. The other one's not. You can be a teacher devoted to God. You can, you know, it's about your heart. Here's what the Holy Spirit does for you. These are the things that should drive us to success. What should drive me to be the best I can be? But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, so he's controlling us, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love. Let love drive you. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. I want you to be the most successful that you can be in your life. In every way, in your marriage, with your children, with your jobs, in every way. I want you to shoot to the top, driven by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Driven by those things, and you know what? You'll handle everything. If, if you're really driven by those things, you'll handle everything in the right way or in a healthier way anyway. And you'll actually get more joy out of your success. With that, let's pray. I'm going to ask us to make a commitment to really surrender and put God first. Don't leave here today without knowing God's number one in my life. I'm surrendering to him. Pray along with me silently. Dear God, we realize that trying to earn acceptance and love or trying to keep an image of success can feel miserable. Lord, we want our success to be based on our relationship with you. Lord, we want to put you number one in our life. We want to surrender to you. And Lord, we're relying on you to help us to love you with all our heart, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to really be who you created us to be. Lord, we want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.